may be seated as you do. Join me in prayer. I also want to pray for John and Krista and their family as we prepare to hear God's word. Lord Jesus, we pray, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. We long for that day. We long for that day when you split the skies and sin and death will be no more. We'll be resurrected as you are, Lord Jesus. And there will be no more sorrow, pain, or tears. We long for that day, Lord Jesus. But until that day, would you make us faithful? Would you make us faithful? to proclaim this great gospel in all of creation. To that end, I pray for John and Krista and their girls. God, I pray that you would use them. I pray that they would be Jesus people, that in the midst of surgeries and post-ops and appointments and orphanages, special needs kids, and in everywhere you send them, that Jesus would be on their lips and in their lives, and that you you would help them display the power of the gospel in a land that needs a light, in a land that needs hope, God, I pray that you would use them. And that as the gospel's on their lips and sing through their lives, you would call people out of darkness into the marvelous light of Christ. What a privilege, Lord, as a church, that we get to be part of this, that we get to send them out, that we get to, that we get to see the front lines of what you're doing in other parts of the world. Oh God, use them, use us as a church. Let this message of the gospel be so compelling. Let it take so deep root in our hearts and lives that we would go to the ends of the earth to see to it that Christ is honored among all the peoples of the earth. Oh God, make us a church that's faithful to you. And to that end, I pray that this text this morning in Romans 9 and 10, I pray that you would allow it to bear fruit in our lives, that it would choke out the the weeds and the distractions that are in our hearts, and that it would take deep root and bear fruit a hundredfold. Oh God, with the old prayer, I pray, what we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. And what we are not, please make us. Sanctify us by the truth. Your word is truth. Lord Jesus, we pray all of this in your name. Amen. Amen. Grab a Bible and turn to Romans chapter 9, the divine 9. This coming Tuesday, October the 31st, will mark the 506th anniversary of the beginning of the Protestant Reformation. October 31st, 1517, Martin Luther posted 95 theses on the door of the church at Wittenberg, Germany. It was Luther's protest of what he saw as the blatant errors being disseminated by the Roman Catholic Church. And as a result of those 95 theses and the conversations and the preaching that followed, the result was one of the greatest revivals in all of history, one that we are still experiencing today and one that I think we literally owe our lives to. See, from a human perspective, if God had not sent the Reformation, we would literally not have even known the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. It would have been obscured behind layers of traditions and rituals. And so I thank God for His kindness in giving us the Protestant Reformation, and I pray that he sends a fresh awakening to the gospel 
in our day. During the Reformation, five particular truths emerged as sort of rallying cries for the Reformers. These are often called the five solas of the Reformation. Sola is a Latin term meaning alone or only. And so these five solas were sort of the main truths that the Reformers saw were missing from the Catholic Church, from the Catholic Church's teaching. There was sola scriptura, scripture alone. Sola gratis, grace alone. Sola fide, faith alone. Solus Christus, Christ alone. And sola Deo Gloria, glory to God alone. All five of these truths are woven together, but of them, sola fide, faith alone, was the main issue of the Protestant Reformation. Salvation is by faith alone, not by our works. And as we have seen through our study of the book of Romans, this has been a main theme of the Apostle Paul, which is why the Reformers love the book of Romans so much. The the Apostle Paul has labored this point in Romans. Justification that is being counted as righteous before God is by faith alone. Remember Paul's thesis statement in chapter 1, verses 16 and 17? Let me remind us of it and read it, which Luther said this was the catalyst for him understanding justification by faith alone. Romans 1, 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the Gospel. Why? For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, for, the, for in the Gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. That is, totally by faith. From beginning to end by faith. As it is written, and he quotes from the book of Habakkuk, the righteous shall live by faith. Well, Paul picks up on this theme of justification by faith alone again here at the end of Romans 9 and into chapter 10. It would be impossible for us, church family, it would be impossible for us to remind ourselves of this central truth often enough, too often. In fact, John Calvin said this is the article upon which the church stands or falls. A right standing with God is by faith in Jesus Christ alone. And this is how it has always been. And so follow along as we see it again here at the end of Romans chapter 9. I'm going to start reading in verse 30, and we'll read through chapter 10, verse 4. Paul asks, What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it, that is, a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, And whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. 
For I bear witness, I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. This is the eternal truth of our God. May He establish our hearts in it. Really simple outline this morning for my sermon. First, I'm going to seek to explain the text, and then I'm going to try to apply the text to our lives. Explanation and application. We start with explanation and understanding the text. So Paul is addressing this question in Romans chapter 9. Why are so many Jews not saved? Why are so many Jews not part of the true Israel? Paul is answering the early church concern that when they look around, there are more Gentiles being saved than there are Jews. Paul actually made this very point with the quotations from Hosea and Isaiah that we saw at the end of last week's text. He said, many Gentiles are being saved, but only a remnant of the Jews. You would think it would be the exact opposite of that, wouldn't you? If you were just thinking of it, you would think it would be the exact opposite. Considering all the advantages and privileges that Jews had, wouldn't you think more Jews would be trusting in God instead of Gentiles? Based on what we've seen in Romans 9 thus far, when Paul asked this question, why are so many Jews not being saved? I would expect, and I think we would expect, Paul to answer this question by simply saying, because that's not the way God wants it. <laughs> right? The Jews aren't experiencing God's salvation because God didn't predestine them according to His purpose of election. That's how Paul has been arguing. Is it not? But that's not how Paul answers the question here. Paul puts the blame squarely on the Jews' shoulders. Unlike the first 29 verses of Romans 9, where Paul focuses on the mystery of God's election in dealing with His people, Paul shifts the focus here to human responsibility. And he will continue this throughout chapter 10. Again, divine sovereignty and human responsibility are not at odds. God's sovereignty never absolves anyone of their accountability for their actions, and human responsibility never thwarts God's plan. We don't need to reconcile these two truths because they're not at odds with one another. They are friends. They go together. And this is one of the places we see this so clearly in Scripture. Divine sovereignty and human responsibility go hand in hand. So, consider the answers that Paul gives here about the responsibility that Israel had. Why are the Jews not experiencing God's salvation? And none of the four answers that Paul gives here is because God didn't elect them. All four answers are, it's their own fault. They are without salvation because they are without Jesus. And they serve as a warning for us all. And just in case we perceive that Paul is being unkind or uncharitable toward the Jews, just look down at chapter 10, verse 1 again. Remember what he said in chapter 9? 
about this deep desire he had for them to be saved, that he himself wished that he could be cut off so that they could experience salvation. Well, here he says, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Paul's heart breaks with love for his kinsmen. He pleads with God to save them. He longs for them to know the beauty and glory of Jesus as the Messiah. However, they have rejected the Messiah and they have considered Him of no value. And so the blame for them not being part of true Israel is their own. They only have themselves to blame. And so notice the steps that Paul takes to describe why the Jews are rejected. Four steps, four answers to this question of why the Jews, by and large, are not being saved. Number one, they did not pursue God's righteousness by faith. They did not pursue God's righteousness by faith. And so Paul starts with this really shocking contrast between the Gentiles who attain righteousness and the Jews who do not. Think deeply about what Paul is saying in verses 30 and 31. What shall we say then? What's the conclusion to all this? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith. Notice the contrast, verse 31. But that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. And so the really surprising thing is that Paul says Gentiles were not seeking God's righteousness at all. And yet, they found it. However, Israel, who's vigorously pursuing God's righteousness, they're seeking to please God. They didn't end up with it. The word pursue in this text is a really strong word. It means to run hard after something you want. It means to go hard at something. And so he's saying the Gentiles didn't even want righteousness. They weren't going hard after righteousness. They lived their lives without care for God's righteousness. And yet, when they heard the gospel of Jesus, they received the righteousness of God by faith. They went from being indifferent to God's righteousness to having it by faith. But the Jews were the exact opposite. They gave themselves headlong to keeping the law in hopes of being righteous in God's eyes. And what happened when they heard the gospel? It made no difference and they kept on trying to earn the righteousness of God on their own. They would rather try to work for God's righteousness than receive it as a gift by faith. Think of the parable of the prodigal son in sort of light of what Paul is saying here. The prodigal son did not set out to please his father. In fact, just the opposite of that, right? He used all of his father's money to live unrighteously. He was seeking pleasure. He was seeking ease. But left to no other choice, he sheepishly started back home. He started out not wanting to please his father at all. And yet, what did he get? He got the Father's welcome. He ended up with the Father's bountiful provision. But think about the older brother in the parable. He was such a good son. He wouldn't dare throw away his Father's money on licentious living and pleasure. He had rules to keep. He had an image to maintain. And yet when the prodigal son returned, he was not happy. He was jealous. And he was self-righteous. That's the picture here. 
Gentiles did not pursue God, but what they end up getting? A relationship with Him by faith. But the Jews pursued God's righteousness, and yet they never attained it. Why? Paul answers why in verse 32. Notice notice why. Why did the Jews not succeed in their pursuits? Paul tells us as plainly as possible. Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. Here's the truth. No one, regardless of ethnicity, regardless of morality, no one can attain God's righteousness by works. No one. No one will be justified by God based on what they do. God's righteousness can only be received by faith. Sola fide. Faith alone. See what Paul is doing in these verses? He is rebuking Israel's entire outlook on God's laws and God's rules to them. Paul is saying God never gave you the law so that you would try to earn His favor through keeping it. God gave the law to show you how badly you need His grace in the Messiah. Faith alone has always been the response God wanted from His people. The only means anyone has ever been right with God is by faith, not by works. No one who seeks to earn salvation will find it. However, anyone, anyone can have salvation if they receive it by faith. Faith has always been the instrument of receiving the saving grace of God, which is incredibly good news for us this morning, is it not? This means that no matter your ethnicity, no matter your morality, no matter what you have done, no matter who you have hurt, no matter how you have squandered God's gifts to you, you can be counted righteous by God through faith in Jesus Christ. Friends, on what basis do you relate to God Almighty? Do you think that your good works or your moral lifestyle make you righteous before God? I hope not. Or do you lean wholly on Jesus Christ for your righteousness before God? You see, the Jews missed out and are still missing out because they pursue righteousness by their own works instead of by faith in Jesus. That's why they were rejected and that's why they are outside of true Israel. Here's the second answer Paul gives to that question. Why are Jews not being saved? Number two, they stumble over the stumbling stone. They stumbled over the stumbling stone, Paul says. So in verses 32 and 33, Paul merges quotes from Isaiah 28 and Isaiah 8 and says the reason Israel does not have salvation is that they stumbled over the stumbling stone that God has put in place. The mental picture that Paul is is painting here is that of a street with a great giant stone in the middle of this street. All humanity is on this road. Those who are pursuing a life of trying to earn God's righteousness on their own, they are blinded to this stone that's in the middle of the road and they vigorously pursue their own righteousness and thus they stumble over the stone. And when they stumble over this stone, they fall to their own eternal destruction. But others on this road who may not even understand why they're on this road in the first place, they see the stone in the middle of this road and they rest upon it. 
They trust in the stone and they are given the righteousness of God by faith. You see, many view this rock as offensive to their self-righteousness. Who needs that rock? Hey, only weak people need to rest on that rock. Only weak people need to take shade under that stone. But others who have no righteousness of their own build their lives on that stone. As Isaiah says, whoever believes in Him, that is, in the rock, will not be put to shame. But those who stumble over the rock, they are put to shame. Clearly, the imagery here is that Jesus, the Messiah, is the stumbling stone that God laid in Zion. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, to those who are wise in their own eyes, Jesus and His way of salvation looks foolish. Why would we trust the guy who is crucified to save us? Christ crucified is a stumbling block to Jews and to all religious people who want to pridefully trust in themselves. But what is foolish to some is the power of God for salvation to others. Don't stumble over God's way of salvation because it looks foolish to you. Don't turn your eyes away from Christ crucified because it offends your flesh. God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. And He did so so that no human being may boast in His presence. You see, the Jews were like builders who were looking through piles of stone, looking for just the right cornerstone (coughs) to build their house upon. They look at Jesus, but they quickly discard Him as worthless. He wasn't the Messiah they expected. But as they discard Him, they stumble over that stone to their own destruction. Jesus is the cornerstone. All who trust in Him enjoy God's favor and are not put to shame. Solus Christus. Christ alone. This is why the Jews were not experiencing the salvation of God because they tripped over the very stone that they were supposed to rest upon. Here's the third answer Paul gives. He says they were not willing to renounce their own righteousness. They were not willing to renounce their own righteousness. Here's why they're not being saved. Here's why they're not righteous in God's God's sight because they're not willing to renounce their own righteousness. And so I think this is something of a summary of all that Paul is saying here. But let's highlight what he says in verses 2 and 3 of chapter 10. So after he says his heart's desire, prayer to God is that they may be saved, he says, For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own righteousness, they did not submit to God's righteousness. This is absolutely tragic. Because on the outside, it looks like the Jews are obeying God. It looks like they have a zeal for God. They, their zeal for God looks to everyone else like they're righteous in God's sight. They're obeying God. They're doing what God said. But the problem is that their zeal is not based on the truth. Their zeal for God is empty. They are ignorant of the righteousness of God. You see, friends, it doesn't matter how sincere you are. If your sincerity 
is not based on God's truth, it does not matter. It is possible to be sincerely wrong. How many people live their whole lives like that? Thinking they're serving and honoring God, and yet they are ignorant of God and His ways. And the reason this happens, Paul says, is because they were seeking to establish their own righteousness. Okay, now we hear their real goal. Now we hear what they were really after. There was no submission to God's righteousness. They wanted to establish their own righteousness. Is this not a super scary thought to you? It is super scary to me that I could be so righteous in my own eyes that I'm blinded to the very righteousness of God. I could think that I'm so righteous that I'm blinded to the very righteousness of God. You see, friends, the first step toward being declared righteous by God is to renounce your own righteousness. You can't establish your own righteousness and receive the righteousness of God by faith. You can't benefit from the righteousness of Jesus if you're clinging to your own self-righteousness. If we could be righteous ourselves, then why did Jesus come and die? If we could be righteous ourselves, what did He need to lay down His life for? Therefore, friends, do not cling to any shred of righteousness in yourself. This is why the Jews were not being saved. Because they were unwilling to renounce their own perceived righteousness before God. Here's the fourth and the final answer Paul gives. Why are Jews not being saved? Because they did not embrace Jesus as their everything. They did not embrace Jesus as their everything. So chapter 10, verse 4, is a really powerful truth that I think gives this central reason why people don't experience salvation from God. Notice what Paul says in chapter 10, verse 4. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. You see what the Jews were doing? They were trying to follow God's law but they didn't even understand what the law was about. They had built their entire lives on the law, and they didn't even know what the law was about. This reminds me of what Jesus said to the religious leaders of His day. He said, you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. But it's they that testify to me. (laughs) You can base your whole life on your understanding of something that you didn't realize was about the very thing that you miss. Hey, you, you can base your whole life on an understanding of something that you don't realize is the very thing that you base your life on that testifies to the very thing you miss. The law's end and goal is Jesus. They built their whole life on the law and they didn't know that the law's goal and end is Jesus. The law is about Jesus And it is about the righteousness we can have by faith in Him. And the Jews refused to see that. Even though they claimed to love God's law, they would not embrace Jesus as the center and substance of God's law. This verse contains really a fantastic truth for those of us who have eyes to see. What this means to say Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes, this means that Jesus has done everything in his life and death to fulfill all righteousness for us. You see, the law shows that we cannot be righteous before God. The law shows that we cannot do it on our own. We have no righteousness of our own. But the law also shows, according to verse 10, 
that we can be counted as righteous by God through faith in Jesus. Friends, whenever you read God's law, read it looking for how Jesus is the fulfillment, the one who satisfies it all. Look for how Jesus revealed and displayed the righteousness of God for us and embrace Him as your everything. He is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. The righteousness that by faith we are clothed in is the righteousness that Jesus has won for us by keeping the law. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. That's the explanation of this passage. Paul says the Jews have missed out on God's righteousness because they didn't have faith. They refused They stumbled over Jesus. They refused to renounce their own righteousness and they did not see Jesus as the end and goal of the law. And so how does this passage speak to us today? How does this passage warn us today? How can we be doers of the word and not merely hearers this morning? I have five application thoughts. Number one, legalism is blinding and it is deadly. Legalism is blinding, and it is deadly. So the Jews we see in this passage were blinded by their legalism. They're seeking to merit or earn God's righteousness instead of receiving it by faith. Whenever we seek to earn or merit God's righteousness, God's favor, we fall into legalism. And they couldn't see the cornerstone right in front of them. They stumbled because they were so blind. And friends, legalism is alive and well today, especially among people like us who consider ourselves religious. We begin to think that we are saved by faith, but that it's all up to us to keep ourselves saved now. We suddenly think that we can smuggle our own character into God's free gift of salvation. I feel this in my my own heart, this desire to earn something, this desire to, to deserve it, this desire to feel like I contributed something to my salvation. And in our culture, it is so easy to fall into the mentality that God's just gonna save all good moral Americans in the end anyway. All right, as long as you're not an axe murderer, as long as your political views don't fall too far outside the scope, God will somehow find a way to forgive you. If you don't believe me, go to, go to funerals. And you'll hear this over and over again. The reason they're in heaven is because they died. This is deadly thinking. It denies the gospel of Jesus Christ. And all spiritual pride in ourselves, all seeking to establish our own righteousness needs to be killed. All basing our relationship with God on what we do and what we don't do needs to be killed. Paul has given two explanations in Romans 9, as to God's salvation. He's given two two explanations as to why anyone is saved. He has said, anyone is saved because of God's sovereign choice and because of our response of faith. Neither of these is anything we can boast in or exalt ourselves in. If you're saved, it's because God's sovereign choice and because your faith in Jesus. And neither of those did you work in yourself. Neither of those can you claim that you can boast in that made you right with God. No one will be justified by what they do. Righteousness is not based on the law. Sola fide. Second application thought. Believing the gospel should result 
in caring about people. Believing the gospel should result in caring about people. Again, we see Paul's heart for the Jewish people to be saved in chapter 10, verse 1. Paul's theology did not make him cold toward people. The gospel made him sensitive to the lostness around him. This is one of the main themes of the book of 1 John, which our ladies are studying on Wednesdays. If anyone says he loves God and hates his brother, he's a liar. It's impossible to both be amazed by the love of God and not also love the people around you. Friends, it is, it is hard to tell people about Jesus. It's hard to bring up Jesus at work, in our neighborhoods, at our sporting events. It's hard. But love compels us to care about people's eternal salvation. Love compels us. So who in your life, who in your life do you need to intentionally share the gospel of Jesus with? Who can you, like Paul, plead with that God would save them? Believing the gospel should result in this supernatural love for other people. Third, religious zeal without truth is useless. We learn from this text that religious zeal without truth is absolutely meaningless. Friends, your sincerity does not matter if you don't know God. Zeal without knowledge is empty. The Jews had a zeal for God, but they were ignorant of God and His way of righteousness. There's this commonly held belief in our society today that we shouldn't question people's sincerity. If someone believes something, who are we to tell them that they're wrong? Friends, nothing could be further from the truth. There are a lot of people who are going to hell who sincerely believe that they are right with God. They believe it sincerely. I don't question that sincerity at all. But they're wrong. They're wrong. The content of what you believe does matter. Religious zeal without truth is useless. So fourth, application thought, Jesus must be central in our message. Jesus must be central in our message. Jesus is the content of what we believe, friends. He is the sum and substance of the gospel. I love this text for it's centered on Jesus. Notice both 9.33 and 10.4. Paul ends sort of both of these sections by just focusing on the centrality of Jesus. In 9.33, Jesus is the rock of offense, the stone of stumbling. Friends, if people are offended by our message, so be it, so long as they are offended by Jesus. We must preach Jesus even if it offends people. That's who He is. He is the stone of offense. He's the rock of stumbling. People will stumble over Him. They will take offense at Him. But He is the one we proclaim. In chapter 10, verse 4, Jesus is the end, our goal, our substance of the law. Everyone who believes in Him is declared righteous by God. This is our message. Jesus and Jesus alone. His person, His work, His glory, His beauty, His majesty. Friends, may we be known as Jesus' people. May we have Jesus on our lips and on our lives. Listen, Jesus literally is Him. Solus Christus. Christ alone. And so number five, and I hope everyone in this room will lend your ear for this last and, this last and fifth one. Believe in Jesus and be counted as righteous by the righteous God. 
Here's the message of the book of Romans. And here's the message of this passage. Believe in Jesus. And be counted righteous by the righteous God. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame, but will be clothed in the righteousness of God. So here's the simple gospel reality. If you're in Jesus, you're counted as righteous by God. If you're not in Jesus, if you reject him, you are on your own. And so I plead with you, I urge you, I beg you now, trust in Jesus alone. Turn away from your sin and your self-righteousness and trust in Jesus alone right now. I want to pray for you to that end. Oh God, I pray. For those in this room that are outside of Jesus, I pray that Jesus would be so compelling, so lovely, so beautiful that you would turn their eyes away from their own self-righteousness and you would captivate them by the beauty of Jesus. Do this by your sovereign pleasure, by your good kindness. Save them. And Lord, save us all from ourselves, from our own righteousness, from our perceived righteousness, for we have none. We declare with the song, nothing in our hands we bring, simply to the cross we cling. Naked we come to thee for dress. Oh God, clothe us in the righteousness of Jesus. Cling to the cross and to the cross alone. We thank you for this passage and its warning to us. Oh God, I pray we heed it for your glory. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.